From VinePair's New York City headquarters, I'm Adam Teeter. And in Seattle, Washington, I'm Zach Jabal. And this is the VinePair Podcast. Before we start the show, though, I want to tell you about something really cool that we're doing. VinePair, in partnership with Remy Martin, is presenting the Bartender Talent Academy, an exciting cognac cocktail competition. In this competition, you're going to be able to showcase your most creative side sidecar cocktail recipe to compete for a chance at the grand prize, a trip to Cognac, France in October to test your skills against the world's best bartenders. All you need is a shaker and a passport. Visit www.bartendertalentacademy.com for all competition details. Zach, man, you had your anniversary last weekend. Congrats. How many Thank years you. has it been? Five? Four. Four, four. years. I thought you'd yep. say five on the social. Well, congrats. Congrats. You. What'd, you, what'd you do? Uh, well, you know, we had our first dinner out at a restaurant since um, March 10th, 2020, um, as it turns out. So, uh, you know, like 14 and a half months. <laughs> uh, we, my son, uh, I took my son up to uh, his grandparents for the weekend, and Caitlin and I had dinner out at a restaurant actually uh, very near where we used to live, uh, which isn't that far from where we are now either, um, which we picked because uh, it has a beautiful outdoor area. And when we made our plans, you know, kind of a few weeks ago, it was like, oh, we should sit outside, you know, just um, just to be safe and all that. And by the time the day rolled around, we had kind of like that morning and the day before had been pretty like bad weather, rainy and cold. And we're like, well, you know, we'll figure it out. Uh, it actually fortunately ended up being quite a nice evening. Um, but I think we also were after like doing that uh, once we we're like, you know, we'll go sit inside. Like I'm not we're trying to be careful with Saul because he obviously can't get vaccinated um, yet. But for the two of us, it's like, eh, you know, we would dine inside and in fact did like the next day for brunch. So <laughs> it was like, we went, we went back in with both feet. Like we had dinner on Friday night, brunch out Saturday and dinner out Saturday night with some friends who were in town visiting. And I was like, okay, I guess we're just going for it now. So yeah, it was nice. I had like it someone else funny. make me a cocktail for the first time in a long time. It was all, it was all wild, uh, you know, boring old pre pandemic shit that now feels kind of exotic. It's funny. I was talking to uh, someone last night. Actually, uh, Naomi and I randomly did something that felt so like cool and fun, and something like we like we don't do this normally, which was that um, we like randomly were walking around our neighborhood of Fort Greene, and we like walked by a wine bar, and we're like, "Oh, let's just sit down and have a drink." Like usually, oh yeah, you know, we've like scoped out the place and like made a reservation, and there was outdoor seating, but then my cousin who happens to live in the neighborhood as well walked by. And so we saw him and he sat down with us and we were all saying how through these last few weeks or I guess month as more people are getting vaccinated, you've like everyone I feel like has had this same kind of experience where like you had all these rules or things you were going to do. And then all of a sudden like a situation be presenting would present itself. You'd be like, I guess we're doing this. Like for us, it was, you know, like a month ago or whatever, when we had a restaurant reservation and it was like drizzling outside and they're like, you know, would you like us to seat you inside? And Naomi and I were like, yeah, I guess so. Yeah. I mean, we are vaccinated. Like, sure, let's do this. Um, so it is, it is pretty funny. And like, it just like, sort of then rips the bandaid off and you're like, okay, I guess like we're just getting back to normal, which is great. Yeah. I mean, I'm all for getting back to normal. So absolutely. And now I get to no, join you in, in the litany of complaints about, mislabeled or mismade uh, white Negronis. I know, because yeah, as I you... texted you that evening, uh, Saturday, we were at a, to be fair to the place, well, to be fair and also to be fairly critical, um, they, like your experience to some extent, offered, it was their sort of cocktail special as verbalized by our server, 
uh, a white Negroni. And I was like, that sounds great. You know, probably stuck in my head from our conversation about it the other week. And I was like, that's something I haven't made for myself at home because I don't have Sue's and like you can make other kinds of things. And I was like, that sounds great. And it's a, you know, like a not super high end pizza place, but like I kind of yep. just was like, sure, I've had cocktails there before. They're fine. And uh, the, yeah. And then the server comes back a, a couple minutes later and she's like, you know, it brings everyone else's drinks. They'd gotten all, they'd all gotten Aperol spritzes, of course. And uh, I was, she was like, you know, it's going to be just a couple of minutes. Um, you know, we ran out of simple syrup and I was like, wait, what? <laughs> like, can you explain to me what this drink I ordered has in it? Cause I, I didn't think it should have simple syrup in it. And she told me it had, I think it was like gin, Lillet. Okay. We're all, we're two for two so far. And then it kind of went off the rails. It was like, lime juice simple syrup bitters and i was like what what cocktail is this it's not a white negroni uh i mean i didn't say that i just thought that and yeah. i was like you know <laughs> you know what i'm actually okay you know since you haven't made it yet i'll just just i'll take an aperol spritz as well which was delicious and uh you know was fine but i was like man what is it about this cocktail that makes it impossible for places to get right i don't know yeah it's so weird so you drank anything good lately gosh i drink it did i drink anything good lately Hmm. I mean, so last weekend, I, again, like I said, so it was rainy Memorial day, like terrible. Like I think like, yeah, the East I'm coast sorry. was like, yeah, it was a bummer, man. So there wasn't as much like, you know, people out, we were saying like, it would have been, I think it would have been an epic weekend in New York city. If it had not rained. First of all, I think you would have heard that all of the beaches in New Jersey and Connecticut and of course in the Hamptons would have been just insanely packed. Apparently some of the bars still were, but I just think not at the levels. It would have been like you know, everyone sort of like I'm vaxxed and ready to go party yeah, weekend. For but sure. that, that really was not the case, um, which was kind of a bummer. Uh, so, you know, Friday night I got to have a, a really fun dinner with Josh, uh, you know, Vine Pair co-founder and his parents, which was awesome. And then on Saturday, uh, Naomi and I found ourselves like at this really random bar in Williamsburg. We were meeting up with some friends and they had a bunch of like crazy frozen drinks on the menu. Mm. And even though it was raining, I was like, I'm going to do this. So yeah. I had a frozen mo frozen mojito, which was actually really delicious. And like a pina colada that had an amaretto float on top. Ooh. And both were really delicious. Um, I hadn't had frozen drinks in forever. So that was probably the, the, the most exciting thing that I drank this weekend was those two frozen, frozen cocktails. Um, and, yeah, not a lot of wine. Again, it just didn't. It was. It was kind of just a bummer weekend, man. Like <laughs> oh, it, it wasn't. Sorry. It wasn't as great as it could have been. I feel like, like I said to you before we started recording, like I feel bad for all the people that had made plans to go to the beach or whatever because it was just like not that weekend in in New York yeah. at all. Yeah, that sucks. And and what definitely you, like yeah. So we had a we had a really fun. Um, we had like our first again. Like we had our first dinner out on. Uh, uh, last Friday, I guess we actually, I got my dates a little bit wrong. On Saturday, we had uh, our first like dinner party. Um, again, since uh, the pandemic started, we'd had a few small family gatherings previously, but uh, we had some some friends who were visiting from out of town. And then another couple that live in Seattle uh, came over. And the coolest thing that I think we we did, and it was kind of the, the vague conceit, was that two years previous, we had been on a trip with a couple that live in Seattle uh, to uh, the Okanagan Valley up in British Columbia. 
and had gone to a number of wineries with them. And so this was kind of a like, you know, two years later, let's open a few bottles that we got on that trip. Um, and, and in particular, sort of um, from a winery down at the very southern end of the valley called the Vieux-Pain, uh, which is down very near the U.S. border. And we had three different uh, vintages of um, some Syrah that they make. Um, and, and their Syrah I think, always been one of the ones from um, the Okanagan that I, I think is just really exceptional. So that was kind of cool. We got to trade the three of them side by side. Um, and then I think the other thing that was really uh, fun for me was like, all of a sudden, everyone was like, oh, you know, you know, can you make me a cocktail? Because we, this was, I guess, before, but we were sitting there, you know, kind of just chatting and all that. And again, you know, Saul was gone. So it was just the yeah. time. And I got to, like, actually use the home bar again. Like, I mean, I'd made plenty of cocktails for myself and for Caitlin. Uh, but it certainly over, that was earlier in the pandemic. And I think I kind of, like, was like, I need to dial it back on the cocktails. Because, like, most people, like, the cocktail and then the bottle of wine thing was cool for a couple months and then I started to really feel it um, in a lot of different ways and so it was like oh yeah like I can make you know I'll make cocktails sure and uh and you know it was like kind of one of those things that it was like well what do you want to make and it turned out that like a couple of our friends had never had a Negroni before apparently we're just in the Negroni themes podcast today um or I, my life is and so again it was like oh cool I can like show you what this thing is uh and they were really into them and that was fun so yeah I mean uh, I you know, I didn't, uh, I didn't go do anything wild, but it was just like this, these little pieces of, you know, pre-pandemic life coming back. Although I don't know if you've experienced this, maybe you're maybe an even more outgoing person than I am. And I'm certainly pretty outgoing after a couple of days of like having people over and doing stuff with other people. I was fucking wiped. I was like, I need to not talk to anyone for, for like all of Monday afternoon. (laughs) I mean, it is funny. I feel like I found, um, you know, everybody feels like they're ready. Like when they do go out, they're going out hard. Mm -hmm. Um, And they're like, they want to have a crazy experience. And I feel like that's happening over and over and over again. Like everyone we're meeting up with, it's like, got to dinner and it's like, oh, we have to get appetizers. Oh, we have to get dessert. Like, oh, we need like after dinner drinks, like every time over the past few weeks. And I think it's because everyone's just so excited. But yeah, then it is kind of exhausting. You're like, wow, this is a, you know, and it's, it is hard to think about that in, you know, in relation to what we came from, you know, yeah. which was really just sitting at home, hanging out with a few people, you know, and, or ourselves. And, uh, yeah, now we're going back to like full socialization. It's, uh, it's a lot. It's, a yeah, lot. it's like go- going back to the gym after not working out for a year. And you're like the first day, you're like, this is awesome. I feel so great. Like I'm going to lift all the weights and do all the running. And then the next day you wake up and you're like, I can't move. This is horrible. Yeah, um, I feel a little bit that way, but like just in terms of conversation. So, fortunately, doing a podcast with you and and Joanna has prepared me for talking to strange, not strangers, but talking to other people who are not my wife. I should say. Oh yeah, and as a reminder to our listeners, uh, Joanna did not get kicked off the podcast. Uh, she's on vacation this week. <laughs> yeah, as you said last week, she's already sick of us. I know. Seriously. Um, so, I thought that this conversation today would be really interesting. And I'm really curious what our listeners have to say about what we're going to talk about as well. So, you know, over the course of the last few years, I've noticed a lot of people in the bar industry, uh, including journalists, et cetera, will, will sort of like say that a certain cocktail is a quote unquote modern classic. Um, so, you know, obviously the classic cocktails are things we talk about a lot on this um on this show, uh, you know, we have like the daiquiri, the old fashioned, the martini, uh, the Sazerac, right? Cocktails that have just really withstood the test of time. And 
I think what's been interesting is that some of these cocktails, I will be like, uh-huh, I completely agree. And I want to talk about what we think some of those cocktails might be that are modern classics. And then other times I'll be like, wait, WTF? Like, mm-hmm. first of all, this is a cocktail that I don't think anyone outside of this one city knows. Usually, And it's usually someone in New York, right? So you're like, oh, it's yeah. a modern classic. And um, definitely no consumers know this cocktail, right? So how are you calling it a modern classic? And that's, I think, the biggest issue that I have with a lot of this, our, our desire to say something is like, you know, a classic is I feel like in a lot of, you know, instances with drinks, we are really fast and loose with language and with what words actually mean. And so for me, like for something to be a modern classic, it needs to be a drink that truly everyone knows or a large majority of people know, you know, that means that the industry knows how to make it right to, to some extent, to a large extent, right. It's something that is, is a call, right. So it's, it's, if you didn't see it on the menu, it could still be ordered at any given place, uh, on our, on the reg. Right. So for example, like, obviously this is not a modern classic. It's the Negroni, right. Which is a classic classic, but you know, I was at a, a restaurant, um, on Saturday, on Sunday night. So of Memorial day weekend with some people and they had a very short cocktail menu, like three cocktails that they made themselves. And I wasn't really feeling any of them. And I, and I asked for a Negroni and of course it came out and it was perfect, right? Like that's the idea of like, people just should know how to make it. Um, and I find that those are kind of my qualifications. And I think that we're too liberal with saying that something is, you know, a modern classic when it really isn't, it just happens to be a cocktail that like some people in a small circle of either cocktail professionals, et cetera, tend to really like a lot. Um, so, but I'm curious what you think first of the term. And then I would love to sort of talk about some that we think actually are or aren't modern classics. So I think there's an additional piece to what you said about kind of what could reasonably define a cocktail as classic, whether, you know, old or new. And it's that a fair expectation is that most bars will have all the necessary ingredients to make it. And that I think is another percent, 100% because very much, because I think that there is like the example at the earlier in the podcast of the white Negroni, like Sue's is not like a, you know, default spirit that I would expect every bar to carry. And so that's obviously probably, probably where both of our experiences went off the rails is like one Mm -hmm. of the three ingredients in the cocktail is not going to be behind the bar in a lot of cases. But so to me, that's a big part of it. And then I think we have to also, you know, you said being fast and loose with language. I think that's part of it. I think it's also just recognizing the incredible power that the language that, that people, whether they're, uh, you know, journalists, bartenders, et cetera, use has to shape public perception of things. And, Classics is a loaded term, right? I mean, we talk about this outside of the drink space. You think about, you know, the classics of whatever, you know, English literature or movie classics. There is an implicit judgment laid in there, which is that if you're unfamiliar with these things, you are unsophisticated. And so, and and it's a different kind of assumption when you're the bartender uh, versus when you're the consumer. But in both cases, it can really it can make people feel really bad to be unfamiliar with some of these drinks and. And, you know, I certainly know as someone who bartended plenty, people would come in and call drinks at me that I didn't know. Um, and, you know, I wasn't 
always super happy to admit that I didn't know what the hell they were asking me for. But, you know, there were there have always been resources for bartenders, right? That's why there are all these, you know, bar books and now apps and websites and things like that where people can look up recipes. But it does also kind of create this whole, you know, kind of, yeah, bad vibe of like making people feel defensive, making them feel inadequate. And so I think that it's it's one reason to be very judicious about our use of the term classic, whether it's classic cocktail, you know, pre-prohibition or whatever, through to, you know, so-called modern classics. And I'll give one little illustration, I think, which which I think is a, you know, hopefully helps, right? So my dad is a, you know, I think like a well-educated sort of sophisticated person in general. He worked in restaurants for a while. He traveled, all this stuff. And yet it blew my mind. Like my dad likes whiskey some, you know, he's not a huge whiskey drinker. He had zero clue. Well, not zero clue, but almost no clue how to make a Manhattan, right? Now you and I would consider that like, shit, there isn't a more classic cocktail than that right. pretty much, right? But it it is remarkably true to me when I step out of my own life experience and maybe, you know, kind of our collective bubble, like people of, you know, even of our parents' age and certainly younger, a lot of people have like no, they don't grow up making cocktails. They don't grow up learning how to make them. You know, we don't, you know, I mean, we just, it's just not, uh, you know, it's not ambient, you know, and unless the cocktail is literally just described by its spirit and mixer, i.e. a gin and tonic or a rum and Coke, you know, people don't, they just, they're, they're, it's a black box to them. They have no idea what's in it. Even, like I said, something that I would feel comfortable calling a classic like a Manhattan. Um, and so it's, it's all the more reminder that we need to be extremely careful when we, when we think to apply this, this kind of term, because like I said, it, it has such a, a, a value judgment implicit in it. Mm-hmm. I agree. So let's do this for for the purpose of our conversation. Let's define what we're going to say the term modern classic means. So I think from our okay. conversation so far, right? I think classic should mean in this conversation that it is a, a cocktail that at least a majority of accomplished bartenders should know. So I think to say that right, it's we're talking cocktails. So if you work at a bar that is known for cocktails, you should know this drink, right? So that means I'm leaving out bartenders that might work at craft beer bars, but happen to have a you know a plethora of liquor behind the the bar and they make some cocktails, right? If you are a bar that what you do is cocktails, this is a drink you should know. And if you are a cocktail aficionado you should know this drink. If you are a, you know, someone on the edges of, of the cocktail world, I don't 100% expect you know the, the drink, but you should be able to, you know, understand if someone talked to you about it or whatever. I feel like that's the first step of what it means to be a, a classic cocktail, right? It's a cocktail that, you know, sort of everyone in the in the industry knows. Now, modern, I think is, do you agree with that, first of all? Yeah, I think... Is there anything you would add or change to that definition? I think the other piece of it that I might include in here is that, and we might Mm -hmm. disagree on this, I don't know, is that I am a little bit not sure how to classify things that are essentially just, you know, riffs on or takes on, both terms I don't love, but, but are kind of the industry parlance, on established cocktail formats. And because... Kind of like if someone says to you, oh, you know, I, for example, right? Like, um, you know, a, a 
Boulevardier, whatever whatever our disagreement may be about the uh, the, the brown spirit uh, used in there, um, you know, you could say to someone. Like, I, I think you would say, you could say, oh, I'd like a Boulevardier. And if the bartender or whoever says, oh, I don't know what that is. If you say it's a Negroni, but with, you know, bourbon instead of gin, that to me is, are you really describing, like, I guess the point is like, for it to be a classic, I feel like it has to be more than just a one ingredient sub for, for a modern classic, I should say. It has to be more than a one ingredient sub for an existing classic cocktail like that to me is not like so like you know people will talk about things like the oaxaca old-fashioned which is just basically an old-fashioned made with mezcal which is great but that's not really like a like okay explain to me how or maybe you use agave syrup as well instead of but i mean again we're kind of talking about you're just bringing the template to a new spirit you're not creating something that is that is, you know, fundamentally pretty different from what has existed. So that might be my additional kind of yeah. I, I could see that. I think if you're if you're doing something where maybe we, we define it this way, if you're doing something where it is like it's a rum old fashioned, it's a Oaxacan old fashioned, etc. You're it's still an old fashioned. It's a classic cocktail. It's a riff on a classic. It's not a yeah. modern classic. Exactly. Uh, if you're using a template, you know, so if you're using a sour template or uh, you know highball template but it becomes something different than i think it could be so now the question now is modern so are we saying modern is are we going as far back as the 80s are we i think so saying it's the early aughts like what is modern in bartending Mm, that's actually a good question because i i you know i hadn't given this a great deal of thought off the cuff my Mm -hmm. my instinct is that you know you had kind of a, a real perceptible kind of dearth of cocktail culture from the early sixties through to the early eighties. Like not that people weren't drinking, but cocktail culture was so defined, even really maybe post-war by just like, you know, a few cocktails that there certainly wasn't the spirit of innovation. And even if you and I might look at a lot of cocktails that came out of the eighties and be like, I don't know if I really want to drink, you know, a fuzzy navel these days it's no doubt that there were new creations that were being put out there. And that I think is kind of where I would potentially start things off mm-hmm. only in the sense that it's kind of, you know, it's only the the idea of really kind of creating new things, right? Cause that's the whole idea behind a modern classic is it's, it's a new creation, which has become, which is so um, appealing that it spreads. It becomes a cocktail that people the world around drink. That's it. If you want to limit it to the you know very beginnings of the kind of modern craft cocktail revival, late '90s, early 2000s, I won't argue with you on that because I think most of what we're going to talk about is going to be from that era and yeah. onward. So yeah, I think why don't we say the '90s for for this sake of discussion? And for those listening, if you have other ones, like if you want to propose the Sex on the Beach, or you want to propose the Fuzzy Naval, or you want to propose Long Island Iced Tea, or what you know, feel free. But I think we should say, let's say from the '90s forward and i'm going to start us off with the cocktail we talked about last week sure and i think it's the cosmopolitan i think it's actually the most quintessential of what a modern classic is yeah it is a it was developed in modern times by toby caccini it is a cocktail that became ubiquitous everyone knows how to make it some correctly some incorrectly (laughs) it is a riff on a classic sour but it is it is its own thing and represents its own thing, for sure. So I think if you're gonna if you want to talk about modern classic cocktails, you have to start with the Cosmo, and it definitely meets your sort of definition of 
you go into a bar and order a Cosmo and it's at any kind of cocktail bar and they're like, what? I mean, I don't, that's like a, <laughs> I don't, I don't know what bar that is. I would. Right. That's a sign that then maybe on. the bartender doesn't know what they're doing. Yeah. Or I mean, I, or they're just, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I guess we're, we're, as we discussed last week, we think it's coming back in a big way, but I guess if you're sort of younger than us, but not that, and not that experienced, it's, I guess it's possible that you're unfamiliar with it. I was certainly, when I started bartending, I didn't have any idea. I mean, I'd heard of a fuzzy navel or a sex on the beach, but I had no idea how to make them. Mm-hmm. I always had to look them up on the occasions yeah. that people ordered them. So, but the point is, yes, I agree with you 100% that that is a, a, a modern classic and you have um, to know it, right? And, it's like, yeah, because I think, I, I think a little bit of what you're saying is somewhat like it, it's holding it to an even higher standard than I think we can, which is that like, you should just know how to make it off the top of your head. I, I feel like let's be, you should at least know it and then be like, okay, I know how to, I'll look it up really quickly to make sure I remember how to make it. But you should be like, oh yeah, totally. Cosmo, I've heard of it. I think some of the ones that I've heard recently people are claiming are modern classics or cocktails. Like I've said to people, even in the vine pair office, and they've been like, who write about cocktails? And they're like, what cocktail are they writing about? <laughs> oh yeah. That one. I haven't heard anyone's, you know? So anyways, but to be fair, Cosmo, what else? Um, so, I mean, to me, the first one we were kind of kicking around this idea um, that occurred to me is the penicillin. So, 100%. I, mean, I can't agree more. And and I actually think the penicillin is this really interesting example of a cocktail where, like, it, it is not – it is, like, the antithesis in a lot of ways of the Cosmo because it's never been a huge breakout star, like, in – like, you know, it was never on Sex and the City. It was never – it's not going to be sort of the, like – ubiquitous cocktail but it is so beloved within the cocktail culture and i I think it has to do with two i think there are two reasons for this and i've always been fascinated by this one is like bartenders (laughs) in my experience bartenders really enjoy making cocktails with ingredients that people tell you shouldn't go in cocktails like single malt and i think there's this idea that like whether it's like oh no single malt is too precious you should never put it in a cocktail or like just that it doesn't play well with other ingredients. Like when I was bartending and trying to kind of create cocktails, I loved playing around with with single malts. Like for one, I think there's a really distinctive flavor profile that that you can get in those cocktails. And two, yeah, it's kind of like it is a challenge, right? Like you know, it's the opposite of making a vodka cocktail. So to, again, to differentiate it from the Cosmo, like vodka can you can put any flavors on top of it and it will play nicely. And Scotch, you have to be careful. And yet th- there is something you know, kind of undeniably beautiful about the way the lemon and ginger in um, penicillin really kind of smooth off the rough edges of, or at least like the harsh edges of, of the scotch that you use. So yeah, to me, that's another one. And again, more of a bartender's and sort of cocktail nerd drink than the Cosmo for sure, but still, I think definitely a modern classic. Dude, I completely agree. Hmm. So I've I've kicked around one that I've been more unsure of, but I'm going to throw it out there. And that's the paper plane. Mm -hmm. I think it is known by a lot of people, but I don't know if it's known by everyone. So this one is, you know, a little bit more difficult for me, but I think it's, you know, it's everything it needs to be. It has a, a specific, Amaro that's called for no Nino, right? Mm-hmm. It's at the end of the day, it's kind of a weird riff on, like you said, a actually a Boulevardier just served up, right? It's yeah. bourbon, no, no Nino and Aperol with some lemon juice, mm-hmm. but like it, so it has a sour riff with the, 
Boulevardier, but then the sweeter to Amaro's in it of the Aperol, the Nonino. It clearly became like a rock star amongst bartenders. I saw it getting added like crazy across the country. Definitely, if you walk into a cocktail cocktail bar in the United States, people should know how to make a paper plane Mm -hmm. and have heard of it. So I think it satisfies it all for me. I just don't think it is as ubiquitous as the Cosmo and the penicillin. I think those actually, and, and you know, you and I didn't talk before this, so we didn't intend to start with those two. I think those two are the clearest examples of a true modern classic. And I think that, you know, we've both discussed why the Oaxacan old fashioned is not, but this one I think sits very close to those two. Yeah. And I think there's something, you know, the, the thing about the paper plane that I think also makes it kind of fitting for this description is it also encompasses a couple of key ingredient trends that, that are big in have been big in this last 20 year period. And, and I think if you think about other areas of eras of cocktail history and why, you know, things became considered kind of classic cocktails in those or, or became very popular in those periods and now are considered classics. It's because in some way, they are reflective of various drinking trends from those periods or um, new ingredients that are available, things like that. And here you have the sort of sudden ubiquity in bars of Amaro, Amaro Nonino specifically, but you know, I've certainly seen plenty of paper planes made with not, not made with Nonino made with other Amaros um, and an Aperol too. Right. And, and Aperol is like kind of emergence next to Campari as like an absolute bar staple. I mean, it was not on every bar I worked when I first started working in the restaurant industry. Um, it quickly became that. Um, and obviously that has to do with more than just the paper plane, but it's still a big part of, of kind of, you know, if you think about the idea of, of kind of cataloging these cocktails as, as you know, part, you know, uh, of, you know, chronicling the history of this period of time and in, in cocktail culture, I think the, the paper plane is a great example of both the popularity of um, those two categories. And then the other piece of this is, the incredible popularity of whiskey, right? And bourbon in particular. Um, and that's another thing that I think is really interesting and is actually to me, one of the fascinating things about this period. And I want to, I want to ask you, I have another cocktail in mind, but I also have a question for you, which is like, is there another bourbon cocktail that you feel like is kind of pushing into that territory? Cause I'm not sure I could, I thought about this. I'm not sure I can come up with one. That's a, a modern creation that, that has kind of reached the level that the paper plane has. I really can't think of one. I mean, there's, you know, some people, there, there's, some people would argue, I mean, see, again, like there's other, there's variation cocktails that some might argue is our modern classics. Like, so for example, like the gold rush, but the gold rush is just a whiskey sour with honey instead of simple syrup. Yeah. So like, again, is that a modern classic or is that just someone who like, I mean, and I get it was, it was a staple of milk and honey and blah, blah, blah. And they, um, you know, but like, was it also just that they were out of simple syrup that night? Like, I don't know. Like, is that, like, <laughs> yeah. is that how it happened? Um, I don't know. That to me is, is a difficult one, even though it is a bourbon drink. So yes, I would argue, I don't think that there is as, you know, important of a new bourbon cocktail as the paper plane. I think you're right. Yeah. So the other cocktail I was thinking of as a, and again, I think kind of maybe like the Cosmo is, is a little bit predates the true craft cocktail mm-hmm. movement, but it's sort of a, a, an early entry. And, and 
I don't even know how I feel about this drink, but I, I'm pretty sure it was kind of invented in that time range, is um, the espresso martini. 100% again. Ding, ding, ding. I think we have like, so far, we're four for four. Okay, cool. <laughs> I'm glad. I'm going to have to throw an oddball out there. But I think that uh, I think the thing about the espresso martini that's interesting to me is like, again, it's a little bit of the fusion of like a variety of trends, including like literally just having espresso machines in most restaurants and bars, like something that we probably these days take for granted to some extent, but was definitely not the case, um, you know, before the rise of espresso culture in the eighties and nineties. Um, and because like, it is a, well, it is like a, it is a great and a terrible drink all at once. Right. Like, like all kind of (laughs) drinks that involve sweet and, and involve, you know, caffeine and all that. Like I have had some great and terrible nights that involved an espresso martini but it's having a revival, I think, right now, and like it's it's undeniably delicious. Like that is that is hard to argue with, even if it's you know kind of a you know it kind of hurts you the day after if you're not careful, as most drinks do, frankly. Um, but yeah, I, I, that was the other one that uh, one of the other ones that definitely occurred to me. I agree. I mean, it's interesting because the more I've thought about a lot of these other cocktails we're talking about, mm-hmm. I have have realized because of the rules we've created how many of them are just basically simple riffs like the white negroni uh-huh. the gold rush you know a, a bunch of these others that i've been like huh these are definitely cocktails that i think i know but again they're not so ubiquitous that like everyone because it just says white negroni like it's okay so it's just it's a negroni that's clear so can you you can make anything with it correct like that's also what I think is is sort of hard about the rules we've created, but also what makes these it much more interesting as a conversation is that it is you know such a you know a hard thing to define in terms of of what it is. Um, I'll throw one other one out there, which I which is it definitely became ubiquitous again recently. So I think one of the things that I feel like is a perfect sort of indicator of a modern classic is a cocktail that's still ordered mm-hmm. even after it was created, right? So I would say maybe the porn star martini. Oh, that's a good one. So, you know, it was developed like 20-ish years ago. But I think, I mean, we wrote articles like that last year, it was all, or the year before COVID, it was all the rage all over London. Like everyone was ordering, like it was the biggest cocktail on lists all over the place. So I think maybe you could consider that one another modern classic. Again, I I don't think it's as strong as the penicillin and uh, the Cosmo, but I think it's one that enough people know. But the penicillin, the Cosmo, the espresso martini, and the paper plane are are much stronger. This is now like sort of we're, we're outside of the core true modern classics. But I definitely think it's one that you could consider to be a modern classic. Yeah, I mean, I think the other question is then like you know kind of so I, I so this is like a little bit of a of a sidebar. But I remember having this conversation a couple of years ago with um, some friends of mine uh, who are much more kind of still in the bartending scene, and it was one of the things that they were they're discussing is, you know, they, they were people who participated in some cocktail competitions and things like that. And, you know, one of the things that, that comes out of these cocktail competitions where often a single spirit or something will sponsor these and the you know, ideas basically, you know, they get all these bartenders to create cocktails based on that or using that spirit. And then they judge them and blah, blah, blah. Is that like, it's, you know, there are fewer and fewer new things 
out there, especially in terms of kind of the on the spirit side. And obviously there are always, you know, new ways to add different flavors into, into cocktails. And this is where we come back to something I said at the beginning, which is like, you kind of have to find uh, cocktails that uh, uh, most all bars would have reasonably on hand, because I think some of the most interesting things that have happened in cocktails over the last 10, 15, 20 years is all the stuff that happens in house. Right. And so whether it's fat washing and, you know, infusions, um, barrel aging, like all these things that, that, define so much of what we consider great cocktails or exciting cocktails yet are not you know it's it's unfair to say any one of those cocktails as a modern classic even if it's beloved even if other people imitate it is is because they they require such specific and complicated um, ingredients and preparations and things like that Um, and yet I do sometimes feel like that's more where we are in cocktail culture these days where we're because so many people for so long now have been, you know, riffing on, iterating, literally putting random shit in shakers and in glasses and stirring it and just trying it. And, you know, for every, you know, I certainly had this experience plenty of bartending for every, you know, kind of cool, interesting, tasty creation. You have a lot that are like, you know, maybe not terrible, but are definitely not good enough to be something you would ever put on a list. I don't mean that we're completely out of, you know, ideas for these base kind of classic template cocktails but i do wonder if like what we see is just where the creativity comes in is much more on the individual bar side where they can you know really kind of add technique that that the average even other bars might have a hard time doing let alone you know you know home bartenders or whomever yeah i think for it to truly be a modern classic it has to be one that you know if I did order it at a different bar and it's not on the menu, they can make it like you said, right? It, it doesn't take, you know, the fat washing. It doesn't take the, you know, molecular gastronomy. I don't have to have 20,000 different ingredients. Another, you know, another cocktail that I think is worth mentioning, even though, again, if we're sticking by our rules, it's hard, is the Tommy's Margarita. Sure. You know, it is definitely a different margarita. It's just, you know, two ounces of tequila, one ounce of lime juice and a half ounce of agave nectar. So you're re- you know you're 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 changing what the sweetener is. Sure. As it, as opposed to it being, you know, simple syrup or cointreau or something like that. Yeah, well you're taking out the orange component too, right? Totally. Like t- traditionally you'd have some sort of triple sac or, you know, cointreau, etc. So maybe you are changing it enough and you're definitely upping the agave flavor, which I actually personally enjoy much more. But yeah, it's it's a riff did is it a creation of a brand new thing? I don't know. And maybe we're maybe there's a sticking point because we're probably gonna have people who listen being like, guys, the four that you're mentioning are all riffs. And they are in some cases, but they also feel completely different and totally new. I feel like, you know, the penicillin just exists on its own. Yes, I totally get that it's basically a whiskey sour, but it's made with scotch and it has ginger syrup. But it feels yeah. totally unique. You know, like there's, there's, you know, the, the cosmopolitan feels totally unique. The espresso martini is its own thing. Um, so I don't know. I mean, maybe we really are just sitting here and for right now the the two of us, we, we've got kind of five, right? We've got the Cosmo, the paper plane, the penicillin, the espresso martini and the porn star martini. Like, is there anything else that we're really missing that's so crazy that people, and you know what, maybe, maybe we should leave it here and you all email us at podcast at vinepair.com. But before I completely open it up, what do you think, Zach? 
No, I mean, I was going to say, I mean, there are other kinds of, you know, there are, there are cocktails that I could think of that sort of are, you know, new-ish, but, but no, I don't think that anything that I, at this point, would feel comfortable saying that they're modern classics. But the other thing about this term and this concept is like, sometimes it takes a cocktail a really long time to catch on. Um, You know, I was um, like, it's not always instantaneous. And so it's possible that there is a cocktail that that's out there circulating a little bit now, and maybe it's someone came up with it during quarantine and maybe it's, you know, we're, we're just gonna, or maybe it's something that's been sort of, you know, yeah, it's been percolating in one specific city or one specific part of the country or another part of the world entirely. And it's, it's just ready to, to go big. And we just, we don't know yet. And if, if so, you know, let us know. And then we'll talk about it in 15 years when we do this again. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, this has been a really fun exercise and I think hopefully um, for everyone who's listened, it's been fun for you to hear us kick it around too. We'd love to hear what you think. Uh, what do you think are, is a modern classic cocktail? Hit us up at podcast at vinepair.com or, you know, post on Instagram, et cetera. Tag myself. I'm at Adam Teeter. Zach, what's your handle again? At Zijabal. Yeah. See, or, uh, you know, at Vinepair, let us know what you think a modern classic cocktail is. Tag us when you're out even. Uh, I, we'd love to know because, you know, I think, as as industry, we 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 so quickly want to say that this new cocktail is a classic, but when you really do boil it down and you and you give it those really strict parameters, it really is. You know, we're we're really at five. Yep. So I'm happy with where we are, but I'm open to suggestions. So hit us up, let us know, and you know, Zach will have Joanna back next week, and I'll talk to you then. Sounds great. Thanks so much for listening to the Vine Pair Podcast. If you love this show as much as we love making it, then please leave us a rating or review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever it is you get your podcasts. It really helps everyone else discover the show. Now for the credits. Vine Pair is produced and recorded in New York City and Seattle, Washington by myself and Zach Jabal, who does all the editing and loves to get the credit. Also... I would love to give a special shout out to my VinePair co-founder, Josh Mallon, for helping me make all this possible. And also to Keith Beavers, VinePair Tasting Director, who is additionally a producer on this show. I also want to, of course, thank every other member of the VinePair team who are instrumental in all of the ideas that go into making this show every week. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you again. Thanks for listening to the show. And just as a reminder, VinePair, in partnership with Remy Martin, is presenting the Bartender Talent Academy an exciting cognac cocktail competition. You can showcase your most creative sidecar cocktail recipes to compete for a chance at the grand prize, a trip to cognac France in October to test your bartending skills against the world's best. All you need is a shaker and a passport. So visit www.bartendertalentacademy.com for all competition details and to enter. Hope to see you there.